0: Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me on the show is Michael Frankel. He is the Managing Director and Head of Deloitte's New Venture Accelerator. Welcome, Michael, to the show.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Michael, I am excited to talk to you because you've been in the trenches for a while in this whole startup corporate collaborative innovation space. Maybe to start things off, why don't we talk about how you got into innovation in the first place?
1: I've always loved growth, you know, corporate growth as a strategy and having a role in corporate growth. Early in my career, I was an advisor, I was a banker, and I was a lawyer, but very quickly I moved into roles in technology companies. And what I discovered very quickly, as you'd expect in almost any industry, but especially faster moving industries, technology, information services, is that you sort of have to constantly innovate and disrupt yourself, or you start to lag behind very, very quickly. That innovation engine is also the most exciting place, at least for me, to be in a company. It's where you ask tough questions. It's where you have to break glass. It's where you have to reimagine processes, offerings, customer needs, all those kinds of things. I've always found it intellectually exciting. Lastly, it's the place where you can have incredible impact. It's like having a really, really large lever. You can have a small team and you can have really oversized impact on an organization.
0: My understanding is you started out doing a lot in the mergers and acquisitions space in Deloitte. How did that kind of evolve into from doing kind of direct mergers and acquisitions to more of a innovation accelerator type of role?
1: My career earlier on was pure M&A. So when I was at VeriSign and when I was at GE Capital, it was mergers and acquisitions. And what I discovered as I sort of evolved and matured my career is M&A can't be done in a vacuum. M&A is really just another growth tool. It's just another tool you have to grow your business along with innovation, along with organic build, along with alliances, partnerships, ecosystem development. And so I became more and more interested in the broader question of just how do we achieve growth? It could be M&A, it could be something else. And so that's sort of how my career has shifted over time is from executing M&A to executing whatever you need to to achieve growth and market position. Deloitte's always had a large corporate development function and has always been acquisitive. What they recognized fairly early on is that as they developed new business models and expand into new areas, they needed not only an M&A team, but they also needed what we call a new venture accelerator, which is sort of a strategy and operations team for new business models. And I was asked to come and run and build that team. We are not the M&A team, but we sit right next to the M&A team. And our job is to both help the businesses develop new strategies that go beyond straight professional services and then to execute them. And in some cases, that execution is acquisitions. And in some cases, it's organic builds or ecosystem development. So we are innovating at the business model and the firm level, which in turn can lead to innovating technologies, innovating operating models, innovating offerings, but it all starts with how are we going to evolve the way Deloitte delivers solutions to customers.
0: So how does that actually work? So a client comes to you and say, hey, we're struggling with growth. We want to look at a couple different opportunities, whether it's mergers and acquisitions or spinning up some startups internally in that. They come to you and, and the new venture accelerator. How does that play out and how do they get involved?
1: So actually, we don't interact with clients or a better way to think about it is my clients are the people who run Deloitte. The way I would think about it is leaders in the firm are interacting with our clients all the time, and they identify an area where the client need is best served by something more than we currently have. A lot of our client needs are served perfectly well by professional services, and that's fantastic, and we think we are the best at that in the world, but especially with evolving technologies, evolving data sources, and new business processes, we find client challenges that are best addressed by a combination of our professional services and some form of IP, Hmm. technology, data, analytics. And my team's job, when the firm uncovers that kind of opportunity, is to help Deloitte build those offerings. If we're building a pure professional services offering, we're already very, very good at doing that. But if we're trying to build an offering that combines our people, our human expertise, with technology, analytics, cognitive tools, proprietary data, anything like that, that's where my team comes in and we help do everything from build the strategy to implement the new business.
0: Can you give us an example or two where this has really worked out well?
1: Absolutely. So there are a number of businesses throughout the firm that operate this way. One example is Converge Health. Converge Health is a set of analytic tools and workflow solutions that sit within our very large and very successful life sciences practice. We have a traditional life sciences practice where we advise large life sciences clients on all these different parts of their business, but then we also have this collection of technology that can automate some of that decisioning, and we can deliver solutions to our clients that combine our people who are deeply knowledgeable about life sciences operations with analytic tools designed to pull out insights about their businesses. Another example would be a business we have called Vigilant, which is a cyber protection solution for our clients. Mm -hmm. And again, it combines our cyber practice, which is a large number of people who are deeply expert in how you manage your cyber operations, how you do cyber defense, and a set of technologies that we've built that run part of the cyber protection strategy on behalf of our clients in all these the recurring theme is the best solution to the client problem is a combination of human beings and technology if it's pure technology that's not what we do Mm -hmm. there are large technology companies that are very good at what they do one of the things that i find fascinating about this trend and i think forget about deloitte for a second i think this is a broader trend that's going to be important in a large number of areas is the journey from human to technology is not going to happen instantaneously. In other words, we're not going to move from a human being does it to a magic black box does it overnight. For some processes, sure, that's going to happen. But for the things that are most complex that require judgment and insight and complex thought and strategy, I don't know. Way past my lifetime in 100 years, maybe there'll be a black box that can do that. But for the foreseeable future, what's going to happen is you're going to need a hybrid solution. You're going to need really smart humans coupled with really cool tech. And I think what's happening in the market is you're seeing a lot of technologies that are being built that are ahead of the user's ability to use them. You know, one of the problems that I think a lot of clients are having is they can't use these technologies. And I'll harken back to a story from my days when I was at IRI in the market research space. If you remember in the 90s, we went through this giant wave of digitization. We digitized everything. So suddenly there were masses of data around consumer behavior, around consumer purchasing, that little beep that happens at the grocery store every time you scan an item. All that data got captured by IRI and and Nielsen. And I was talking to the head of market research at a very large consumer packaged goods company who said, you know what? We asked you to give us lots of data, and you did. And now we're suffering from death by data because we don't know what to do with all of it. I think that same thing is happening now with some of these technologies. There's amazing AI and cognitive and machine learning and robotic process automation technology emerging, but the number of companies that are able to effectively grab that technology, implement it into their workflow and solve a concrete business problem with it is still very, very small. For Deloitte and for firms like them, there's an opportunity to help clients bridge that gap, but I also think It's a really interesting cautionary tale for the technology businesses that are building these technologies, that you have to think beyond the fact that you're building a really, really cool widget to how is it going to actually solve a business problem in real life? How is it actually going to be implemented?
0: Well, that affects most startups out there, and a lot of them die because they haven't figured that out. It's technology looking for a solution or a marketplace, and maybe they're early or maybe they're just it's not there to begin with. So talk a little bit, this emergence of the hybrid and that, and what are some of the trends that you're seeing? So if obviously the human side is a key component to making this all work, what are the kind of skill sets or mm-hmm. the things that you're seeing out there that are making some people better at adapting to this particular new reality versus others?
1: One of the emerging talent profiles that I think we're going to see a lot more of is the connector and the implementer. And what I mean by that is not sort of traditional systems integration, but the person who understands a new technology well enough to be a super user Mm -hmm. and can implement it effectively to solve a business problem. Because you can think about it as being a giant chasm. On one side of the chasm, there's the technology. On the other side, there's sort of the end user, the business person trying to solve a business problem. And technology companies are trying to build part of that bridge across the chasm, but it's very hard for them to because they don't think like end users and their stuff is increasingly complex. And so from the human side, you're gonna need somebody who's going to go across and meet the bridge in the middle of the chasm. I think that there's gonna be a whole new set of roles that are gonna be incredibly important for people who bridge the gap between being technology savvy enough to understand a technology solution, whatever it is, right? Whether it's analytics, whether it's robotic process automation, and deeply understand the business problem that needs to be solved right. i think that person's going to be in incredible demand because in the absence of that person you can make the joke about my 93 year old mom and new complex technology you'll have a user who can't use the technology and a technology hmm. that's not been customized to the user i think that for a lot of these technologies there's going to be an emerging class of people of employees who are not pure techies Right, not pure business people, but sit somewhere in the middle. The best analogy I can give you is the product manager in an organization, right? They're not the developer. They're not the salesperson. They're the person who usually sits in the middle and translates back and forth.
0: I think the other trend you're seeing is it's not just one technology stack that is dominating a solution. It's oftentimes the combination of different technologies and new ways of moving this piece of data with this particular new sensor or something that allows new solutions to be created. And so The adaptability not only in one particular technology stack but being able to cross and collaborate across that as well i think is probably one of the trends i'm seeing as well
1: absolutely yeah it's sort of what you do is geometrically multiply the problem right so if you have a single technology you need to understand how to apply that to a business problem now what if you have five or six different technologies and different data sources that all have to sing together to solve that business problem it becomes even more important that you have that conductor in the center what I find interesting is our corporate structures tend to push away from that kind of hybrid human being. Software companies think like software companies, data companies think like data companies, professional services companies think like professional services companies. And what's emerging is a need for a set of human beings that sort of think like a combo of those things. That skill set is going to become more and more important. Ironically, As our technologies get more complex, there's almost a a yin and yang where we try to make them more user-friendly, then they get more complex, which makes them less user-friendly. Then we try to make them more user-friendly again, and then they continue, and it's going back and forth and back and forth. But the complexity makes it harder and harder to DIY these technologies. And if you want a real-world example of that, the one that I would point to is the difference between the vision people have of marketing technology and the reality. The vision is, and, you know, if you read popular press, there's this ludicrous amount of data about Michael Frankel that is out there that everyone has access to, and they all have AIs that gather all that data. They know everything about me and they can customize their marketing to me. But the reality, as anyone will know, is that even the most sophisticated automated marketing is still pretty remedial. I am not getting customized when i surf the web or when i go to stores or when i go to websites i'm not getting hyper customized offers i'm a big guy i am still getting offered extra small sweaters and the reason for that is that the technologies have become hyper complex but implementing them effectively down to the you know where the rubber meets the road of actually making email offers and website offers to individual consumers That is a really hard journey to make. And not that I'm trying to advertise Deloitte, but one of the places that Deloitte and some of the other competitors in the space have invested heavily is in a marketing stack intended to try to create an end-to-end customer experience. And for exactly that reason, it's not easy to do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, execution alone, I mean, just because you know who the person is and and what they want, the effective ability to then create a campaign for that individual person still takes a lot of time, effort, a lot more than you would think so.
1: Just because in 20 or 30 different data sources, I have different data points about Michael doesn't mean I can integrate them. Doesn't mean I can have a single view of Michael. Doesn't mean I can then put analytics on top of it. Doesn't mean I can take the results that come out of the analytics and automate it into my actual marketing activities. All of those assumptions are not yet true. It's incredibly hard to make that all work together.
0: So let's talk a little bit about some of the trends or what excites you about this new evolving world that we're living in.
1: I'm a fairly practical person. And so I like conceptual technology, but I get really excited when I see it change business, change human life. So I think what excites me about the period we're living in now is that it's somewhat similar to Least for me, the early 2000s, when I was in the middle of internet infrastructure and you could watch the internet actually start to change human life and make things more efficient, make people more productive, make them happier. The internet existed in the 90s, it was more of a conceptual technology. I think that's happening now with a lot of these other technologies. So AI, RPA, machine learning are starting to evolve from isn't that cool to, oh, it solves this really concrete problem and improves a business or a human life, right? So in ways that you can actually drive metrics from. RPA is cool, but when I can take a process and reduce it from 10 hours to 10 minutes Mm -hmm. or from $10 million to $10,000, that's where I get really excited. And I'm starting to see That kind of activity, which also leads me to the companies that I'm most excited about, especially early stage companies, are not necessarily the ones that are doing the most bleeding edge work in these new technologies. I think, especially because we've made this leap in a lot of these technologies, over the next five years, the companies that are going to be really interesting are the ones that couple the cool technology with a business problem. I think a lot of people take that for granted, that it's easy to do. Oh, well, once we have the teleporter, then you know everyone will figure out how to use it. It's actually really hard to figure out how to commercialize that into something that affects human life. I'm excited to see little companies find a business problem and figure out how to radically change it with a new technology. We've seen that a lot on the consumer side. If I go to my phone right now, there are a whole bunch of different things that weren't there five years ago that make my life better. We're going to see that on the business side. We're going to see that on the B2B side in a way that's going to transform corporations. That's the thing I find most interesting over the next sort of three, four years.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think that's what you're seeing also you had this wave of startups in the consumer space and a lot of those kind of low-hanging fruit types of problems have been solved or being solved. And you know, how many apps can you really have on your phone that are, are worthwhile? And now Mm -hmm. you're seeing that move towards technology taking on bigger problems, whether it's climate change or whatever, these bigger, more sophisticated, more difficult, longer time horizons to solve. So it should be an interesting thing. We have seen this rise of the startups. And so that's the last topic I want to talk about is where is the role of the corporation interacting with these smaller companies? How do you see corporate venture fitting into this and being able to dynamically change in this environment with new businesses popping up all the time?
1: Yeah, I think this is one of those great challenges as to how do you crack the code? Because there is a place for the large corporate and there's a place for the startup in innovation and they almost have mirror image problems. The large corporate has deep customer insight, it has massive resources, but it's also burdened by what it currently does. It's incredibly hard to self-disrupt. I mean, we've seen this over and over again with, with large companies. Interacting with the startup is a fantastic way to sort of self-disrupt, right? You get access to thinking that you would never have pursued because it's not the way you currently do things. And also breaking rules that aren't explicit but are implicit in your organization, right? Your organization, if you're a large corporate, has rules around what kinds of people you hire, how you pay them, where they work, what they do, what kind of technology you use, how you interact with customers, what your brand is to the customers. So there are all these constraints that you have. Startups clean sheet of paper, right? The the cool yep. thing about startups is they build their enabling areas to support the totally crazy new thing they're doing. Whereas a large corporate, the enabling areas have sort of created the cage in which you operate, right? Not maliciously, but because you need that, right? You need that infrastructure, even things as simple as financial metrics. If you have a 10, 20, $30 billion company, you have established financial metrics. Those create a certain set of incentives in terms of how you behave. The large corporate can get tremendous value out of the startup and the startup can get tremendous value out of the large corporate, because the startup generally lacks great insight into what the customer needs are. It generally lacks the broad ecosystem, right? Very few startups create something that sits on its own. In general, startups create a piece of a puzzle. It could be an incredibly cool piece, but it has to fit into a broad puzzle. My experience is it's very hard for these two groups to meet Mm-hmm. Uh, for very human reasons. Number one, they don't speak the same language. They have totally different cultures. They have different time frames. They have different sense of risk. Startups will take a lot of risk with their brand. Large corporates are not going to. And they don't know how to find each other. And they don't know how to vet each other. If you think about the large corporate, it's surrounded by thousands of startups that are deep subject matter experts in tiny niches, It's relatively rare that you have somebody at the corporate who knows enough to really vet those startups. So they end up looking for signals. The problem is it's really hard to find the right signals to know which of those many, many startups they should pursue. They'll look for VCs they trust or executives who look like they have a good brand. The discovery exercise is very, very inefficient. And the same thing is true on the flip side. The small company has an easy time identifying large corporates that they think they should work with. But then they have the next problem, which is Okay, I I want to navigate that. How do I navigate? Exactly. I want to work with Company X. Company X has 78000 employees. Right. Who do I talk to?
0: I'll start with Jim.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How do I get to them? And even if you get if you get to Jim, Jim's the wrong person. And Jim doesn't know Susan in the other division because there are 78000. We don't know. We don't even know each other. They have different kinds of navigation problems.
0: Are you seeing any tactics that are working better for others or other corporations are finding a way to make this work?
1: I think there are a couple of tactics that work for the large corporates. One is go topic and sector specific for two reasons. The first one is take your people who really know a topic well because they will be able to vet small companies, and if they leverage their personal networks they'll find out about small companies, right? Because who do small companies interact with? They interact with potential clients. They're out selling because job number one is to get those first couple of sales. So I've always said as an innovation executive or as a corporate development executive, I love to talk to people in the field, salespeople in the field, because they hear stories. They hear stories from clients. They hear stories. They're out talking to lots of people. Step number one for a corporate is, align your innovation efforts and your corporate venturing efforts with people within your organization that know the particular subsector really, really well. Number two is create an environment that allows you to interact with these little companies and vet them. You can do accelerators, you can do venture funds, but my experience is what the small companies want more so than the money is they want the interaction. So sure, if I'm a small company, I might take funding from a corporate venture fund. But the reality is there's lots of venture capital. Venture capital is now a very efficient market. What I really want from the large corporate is I want to talk to somebody who really knows my space and can give me advice on how to build an offering that is most saleable to clients. And two, and it's probably the same person that will then give me access to their clients.
0: That, that beta kind of environment to, to try and test and build within a larger environment.
1: Exactly. And, and that beta may take the form of actual technology testing and piloting, or it just might take the form of client conversation. Mm-hmm. But that's what I really need from the large corporate is, I need the insights that are gonna allow me to build the right thing with the right feature functionality. Watch out for the gotchas, right? Clients will absolutely not accept this level of security, this level of lag, you know, the need for this kind of data, whatever it is, all those gotchas that sometimes a small company doesn't think of until they hit the client meeting mm-hmm. and realize they made a terrible mistake. It's all those kinds of insights that I think are most valuable to get from large companies. The essence of what I'm saying is the best connection point between the large corporate and the early stage company is a commonality of interest in a very specific business problem and customer problem. Those are the two parties that are really going to bond and have a productive conversation. Figuring out how to get them together is the most powerful thing. So if you have a corporate venturing group or you have an innovation group, you tromping around the market and talking to companies is somewhat interesting. But I think where the rubber really hits the road is if you can get the level of focus to say, here's my VP of X, Mm -hmm. who's deeply knowledgeable about X, and I'm going to line them up with 10 companies I've found that play in specifically solving X problem for the same customer type, that's most likely to stimulate a really interesting commercial opportunity for both sides.
0: Well, Michael, I do thank you for being on Inside Outside Innovation. If people want to find out a little bit more about yourself or Deloitte, what's the best way to do that?
1: They can find me on LinkedIn, and they can also find me on michaelfrankel.net.
0: Michael, thank you very much for being on the show, and look forward to uh, keeping in contact and talking about the world of innovation as we move through the world today. Cool. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io, or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Ardinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.